Well, welcome everybody to Rise Church. So glad that you're here with us today. My name is Aaron. I'm the senior pastor on behalf of my wife, Erica, who is just up here, and all of our staff and pastors. So glad that you're with us today, uh, especially if you're here with us for the very first time. Hey, if you're a guest with us, I always welcome our guests to come back at least three times. Everybody say three times. And here's why, is I know that when you go to a new place, you don't always get the best experience on the first experience. So I highly encourage you, come back, try us out a few more times, and uh, see if this is not hopefully your spiritual family. I also want to welcome everybody watching on Facebook Live in digital land. So glad that you're with us today. Uh, we, we see hundreds of people who do that on a weekend and a regular basis, and so glad that you're with us. Uh, we, we appreciate you. Also, if you are on Facebook, will you do me a favor and go ahead and take your phone out and check in? Can I have my phone in church? Yes, you can. So uh, go ahead and take it out and just let everybody know you're in church. One of the reasons we do that is because we know that, honestly, it's a great way to get connected. We see a lot of people in our church find out uh, about our church through that check-in feature on Facebook. So let them know you're here and you're with us, and uh, we're so glad that you're with us and it'll help us out. We are in the middle of a series called Who Am I? Everybody say, Who Am I? The reason we're doing that is we want to discover together uh, our God-given purpose, who God designed and discover who God designed us to be. Because I know that as a pastor, as I've just kind of done this for many, many years now, I've heard many people struggle with their identity. And how many of y'all know, if you don't know who you are, you don't know what, you, what you're supposed to do, and you don't know what you're not supposed to do, and it could get you into some trouble if you really struggle with your identity. And so we're talking about in this series really primarily, who is God called us to be? And so Today we're going to be in the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1. Ruth, if you don't know, is a book of the Bible in the Old Testament. A lot of people think the Bible is like one giant book. It's really not. It's a kind of a collection of books and uh, has many different sections, many different parts, and different themes. And Ruth is really what uh, many scholars believe to be a historical book. So it gives a historical account of someone or some people who lived and kind of tells you a little bit about their life. And this is uh, during a specific time where the kingdom of Israel um, uh, kind of existed in that space. Uh, season. And so we're going to be Ruth chapter 1, uh, verse 1. I'll give you some context before we get there. Today we're going to be talking about, if you have uh, your, your taking notes, we're going to talk about who am I when I feel alone? Who am I when I feel alone? And, and how do I deal with this idea and maybe even this epidemic or, uh, of, of loneliness? And so Ruth uh, is a, one of my favorite Bible characters and she really did something and modeled for us uh, an antidote, I would say, to loneliness. And in this particular part of Scripture, uh, there are three main characters, Naomi, and there's Ruth. We're going to primarily cover Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah. And they are really family members by marriage. And you'll see that really in the beginning part of Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, there was a famine in the land of Israel, which means they were they really lacked a lot of food. There was a, a great kind of famine during their crops. And so it made them move and go to a different par- uh, part of the, of the world world called Moab, which is really traditionally uh, the enemy of Israel. And they kind of go over there and some majorly bad things happen. And so we're going to pick it up kind of in Ruth chapter one, verse one, and I'll kind of help narrate a little bit of what's going on so that we all know where we're at. So everybody with me up to this point, everybody say, I got you. Everybody say, okay. All right, Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll put it up on the screens. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons. So we have a family of four, okay? A family of four who leaves where they're supposed to be and goes into the really the enemy's part of the land. And then Elimelech died. So Elimelech was the, was the man who took his family. He died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. This is kind of important, so just... Kind of track along with me. He says, the two sons married Moabite women. One married a woman 
named Orpah. No, that's not Oprah. Okay, that's Orpah. All right, it's like you know, you get a car, you get. That's not her. So okay, that's Or. It's Orpah, and the other woman who named was named Ruth. And about ten years later, this is this is kind of important. About ten years later, both Malon and Kilian died. So this is Naomi and Elimelech's sons. So the family of four moves into Moab. I'll give you a summary of what happened. They move into Moab. Elimelech dies, so the dad dies. Then the sons get married. Then the sons die. Okay, so now the people who are left are Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. Okay. Okay, so to kind of give you an idea of what's kind of going, going along. So then in verse 7, it says, With her two daughters-in-law, she set out from the place where she had been living, and they took the road that would lead them back to Judah. Verse 8 said, But on the way, Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. Now, I'm going to pause for a minute because I want to give you an ex- like, tell you what's going on. In that time, culturally, it would not have been good for a foreign widow to be residing in a foreign land. You, you, that culture dictated you really needed a man to help support you. And if you were a foreign person in a foreign land, especially if you were a widow, you were in trouble. You, you, there was a lot of danger that came with that. So Naomi was trying to go from Moab back to Judah or even Israel, really where they were, where she's from, because she's Hebrew. And the Moabite women or her, her daughters-in-law were Moabites. They, Ruth and Orpah, they weren't Israelites. They were, they were from Moab. And so they're trying to figure out, what am I going to do? They're trying to figure out, they're both in kind of the similar situation. And then verse, so that kind of ends with verse 8. Then verse 10 says, no, they said, we want to go with you and to your people. So their response to her saying, stay, because this is where you belong. They said, no, we want to, we want to be together. And then verse 14, they wept together again. And this is where it, it, the, the story kind of changes. And this is important because we're going to come back to this moment because we all have this moment. We have a verse 14 moment inside of your life. It says, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law and said goodbye. She says, like, I'm done. I'm going to go start a TV show and give away cars. So Oprah, you know, she's going to be doing that. And then, but Ruth, this is important, Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. She decided that there was going to be nothing that was going to separate her from Naomi. Verse 15 goes on. It says, look, Naomi said to her, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You, you need to do the same. And I like what, I like what her response was in verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you. And turn back. Wherever you go, this is so good. Don't miss this. Wherever you go, I'll go. Where you're going to live, I'm going to live. Your people are going to be my people. You, your, you know, your football team's now my football team. You go to Chick-fil-A, I go to Chick-fil-A. Your God is going to be my God. So good, right? And then she says, even to the point of death, whenever, wherever you die, I'm going to die, and that's where I'm going to be buried. May the Lord punish me severely. Let nothing separate me other than death. Like, like uh, this, is, this is for real. Everybody say for real. And she ends up in verse 18 saying, um, when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. She's, she saw, she realized this is a losing battle in this conversation. This, she's not leaving me. I'm not going to convince her. This just is what it is. So with that as our backdrop, let's pray. Father, I just thank you, God, today that we're, we're learning about you. And Lord, I, as we learn about how to combat this idea of loneliness, I pray that you would speak to us in only the way that you can. I, I've prepared notes, but Lord, I know that you've prepared notes for our hearts. And I just pray that today you would speak to us in only the way that you can. Help our, 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 our hearts to be open, our minds to be clear as we hear from your word in Jesus' name. And everybody say 
Amen. I, um, as a pastor, I've seen, I think, over time, more and more loneliness creep into our culture. Uh, most of the things that I talk to you and other church families about is rooted in this idea of loneliness. Some of you in here right now, you're sitting in here because you have struggled with loneliness. You feel alone. You know that you're alone. You don't find community. You have not found family. And there's something inside of all of us that longs really for that. And it makes, it begs the question, doesn't it? It begs the question of why we are so lonely. Because you would think that because we are so connected more digitally with technology, you would think that our society should be lonely less, right? We should not have so much loneliness. We shouldn't struggle with it. And so I did some kind of meta-analysis and research about why we, you know, some just kind of combined research. Give me some ideas of why we're so lonely. One thing that stood out of why we're so lonely is that we're more socially mobile than, than ever before. You know, a lot of our culture really shows us that if you want to go have a good time, go find new people. Come on, go find a new place. Go find that new restaurant. Go find that new there's no real, there's almost no commitment to anybody anymore. You and I more than likely like to travel more. It's easier than ever to get into an Uber or a Lyft. Come on and just get where you need to get to. And honestly, society has not always been like that. Another reason that we see that some of the main reasons why we can find ourselves lonely is because uh, we're more transient and transitional than ever. Uh, our society, especially when it comes to our careers, you know, a lot of us aren't in that same job for the 40-year watch. How many of y'all remember that, that, that season, that culture? How many of y'all remember that time where you were celebrated when you stayed at your office and you just did what you're supposed to do for 40 years? Come on. And then you got the 40-year gold watch at the end with your retirement party. And, and not a lot of people are doing that anymore. A lot of, not a lot of, and it could be generational. It could be uh, that, that society. It could be technology-based. You know, 40 years ago, you didn't have the ability to work from home. Come on, somebody. You had to go into the office. You had to go see your boss. You had to sit at that desk. You had to press the button. Come on. And because you made you, come on, your career kind of forced you to do that. You made you be around people. Well, it's not so much like that anymore. You don't see a lot of people sticking around or even working in the same way. Third way is you see that we're more online than ever. Um, shoot, several years ago, we didn't have online. Come on. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have, how many of y'all remember when pagers were the new thing? Come on, right? Y'all remember the pager? Like, I remember I had it on my hip. You know, you thought you were so cool. You had it on the clip. And you're like, hold on, somebody's calling me. And you did with your jacket, you're all. <laughs> hold on, I got something. I got to hold on. You got a phone around here? Yeah, I always say that you got a phone somewhere. And you, you didn't, you were more online than ever. And so you can know what people are doing more than ever. And you know what you're missing out more than ever. And you're more lonelier than ever. And you would think that because we're online so much and we're so connected so much, we would be more connected. I saw a study that said, asked how many people, how many Facebook friends you have. The average answer was 388. And then they had a follow-up question. How many friends do you confide in? And they said, zero. In fact, another statistic said that 43% of adults over 45 years of age struggle with chronic loneliness. Like, we, we are a lonely society, y'all. We're lonely. There's something, there's an epidemic, there's, a, there's something in our society that, that we can't seem to figure out. And the real reason we're lonely is because you and I were designed to be in relationship. 
And if you don't have that relationship inside of your life, you're missing out on what you were designed to do. In fact, the Bible speaks to loneliness, just so you guys know. The Bible speaks to loneliness. It speaks to we, we might not we might know the symptoms, but we're, the real problem is that we're not in relationship, real relationship. And the Bible says that God, in order to fix the loneliness of our society, so if that's the disease of our society, his, his antidote for it is family. I'll show it to you in Psalms chapter 68. If you've been around here for any length of time, you'll, you'll know that this is kind of the, a big deal to our church that it says this, it says, God places the lonely, there's our word for the day, how am I when I feel alone? God places the lonely, so if you're lonely in here, here's how he fixes it. He places you in families, not corporations, not churches, come on, not organizations, not clubs, not social environments, not friendships, not acquaintances, not jobs, not neighborhoods. Come on, you got are you hearing? You see what I'm saying? God places the lonely in families. That his identity, his, his antidote, his response to the loneliness of society is spiritual family. And somebody was asking me the other day, they said, you know, Pastor Aaron, what, what would you say that, like the, you know, the, 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 the thing that separates Rise, maybe, what's the thing that God gave Rise? You know, I'm like, well, it's, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a good question. I think, you know, we, we, we got some great worship. I mean, I'll thank for a worship team. Like, we, we, got some, we got some great worship. I said, but a lot of churches have great worship. Can we be honest? Right? Like man, we got a, a I mean, we got quality kids programming. I mean, a lot of churches got quality kids programming, you know. And I'm like, it, it clearly can't be the preaching, right? It's just, <laughs> pastors got issues. And so you know, y'all have like the best communicators in the country at your fingertips now. So it's not. It's, I don't know if it's that, but I, I do think that maybe our secret sauce here at Rise, what we care about and sell out to, is this right. spiritual family. We care about you not just coming in here and coming to church. We care about you coming in here and feeling spiritual family. Feeling a connection, and we hear it all the time. Pastor, I walked in, and I felt this authentic connection to people I didn't even know. I said, that's it. That's the win. The win is not you coming in here and be like, that was a good message, Pastor. I'm telling you, you are so gifted. I've never even heard that, but it's like I've never, <laughs> you're so gifted at preaching. But we, we want you to feel a connection that almost doesn't make sense that feels God-given. Divine relationships, spiritual family. Yeah. That's our goal here at Rise. Unashamed, it's one of our five values. It, I think it is one of our secret sauce. And here's why. It's because it's the antidote to our disease in our society. So in the time I have left, I wanted to walk through just three, uh, three reasons or three ways that divine relationships impact our identity, why it's so important, because we know it's important. You were designed for relationship. You were designed by a creator for you to be in relationship, and, and we believe that it shapes, helps shape your identity. So the first one is, this, how do divine relationships impact our identity? The first way is lack of spiritual family moves us from our destiny. A relational famine is what we struggle with. You and I don't struggle with famine. Like when we hear famine, we don't like, we're like, that doesn't make any sense. We can go to HEB at any time and go get any food we want. So we don't understand 
food famine, but our famine is a relational famine. That's what causes the disease in our society. I like what Ruth chapter 1 verse 1, it says this. It says, in the days when judges were ruled in Israel, this is how the scripture starts. A severe famine came upon the land, so a man from Bethlehem, this is important, okay? This is what happens when famines come into y'all's life, to our life. A man from Bethlehem in Judah, so they highlight, he's supposed to be a, a, a Israelite. He's supposed to stay in the land of Judah. That's where he's from. That's where his inheritance is from. That's where his rights come from. That's where he's supposed to be. He leaves his home because of the famine and went to live in a country of Moab. He goes from where he's supposed to be into a place where he's not supposed to be, which is ultimately the enemy of where he's supposed to be. But he has to go there because there's a famine in his life. Now, because our famine is relational famine, what you and I need to see out of this is it really a different translation. So I want to make sure you understand what they're really saying. I'm going to give you the ESV, the, you know, the English Standard Version. We use a lot of versions around here, so just so you know, it's all good. We're going to read it, but it's, this is what it says in the ESV. It says, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man in Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn. Now, you and I don't know what that word means, because we don't walk around. I'm like, I sojourned to H-E-B today. <laughs> awesome. Then I sojourned to Starbucks. Like we don't use that language, but the Hebrew language and the Hebrew word sojourn me is gore. And it literally means this. It means to dwell for an indefinite time as a newcomer without original rights. So better translated and what the Bible is speaking about with this family, a man who was in his destiny because of the famine caused him to step out of his destiny into a place where he no longer has rights and no longer has privileges. He's no longer in his God-given destiny. And when you and I have a relational famine, when you and I choose to go at it alone, you and I choose to step out of what we originally have rightfully under God as spiritual family, when you go at it alone, you miss out on your destiny, period. Period. No one's walked up to me ever. I've never had it where they walk up to me and they say, I'm right where I need to be. I'm in my destiny. God's doing great things. I'm living out my life and I'm so alone and it feels great. (laughs) That never happens because God didn't design you to function and work without relationships. When we go, when there is a famine and it makes us go where you shouldn't be, you lose out on what's rightfully yours. Identity for all of us is formed in the presence or the vacuum of relationships. It's how we were created. Your identity right now is based on the people you knew and didn't know in your life. You, did, you might not have known that. That... that Identity for itself, relationships for our identity is a key ingredient. You, you, were, you were designed by a creator for relationships. A good way to explain this is the other day I was, I was making a cake. And uh, I don't know if y'all have ever made a cake before. I'm not a baker. But I just get a box and I follow the ingredients. Come on, somebody. Y'all just thankful for Duncan's. And um, it's funny, they put the, what the cake should look like on the box for people like me. Like, Aaron, when you are done, it should look like this. I'm like, okay. Have you ever baked a cake and forgotten an ingredient? Anybody? Anybody? We got one brave person back. Thank you. 
One, two, I got two. Anybody else? I got three. Come on, anybody else? Four. I get a, can I get a five, fifth? Okay, awesome. We're all just, we got five people who told the truth. Okay, so <laughs> you forget an ingredient sometimes, and I forgot eggs. Have you ever made a cake without eggs? What's interesting about a cake without eggs is that it doesn't do what it's supposed to do, right? It's flat. Everybody say flat. It doesn't puff up. It doesn't look like a cake. It looks like a pancake. And I looked at the cake, and I'm like, well, hold on. Something's not right. It doesn't even look appealing. It didn't fulfill its Christmas destiny. And I realized I forgot a key. Come on key ingredient. The designers of the cake designed it to be put together with eggs. And, and what's funny is we, we, we all want this. We all want this. We all want the, 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 the cake that looks like the box. But, but you don't get this if you don't use all the key ingredients in the cake. Y'all following what I'm saying? Your life cannot look like this unless you, 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 you follow the designer's design and make sure all the key ingredients, relationships are the key ingredient in your life. And some of us are walking around living a pretty flat, unappealing, no one puts this on the shelf and go, you want a piece of that? No one highlights this thing. No one's going to eat it. You forgot something. And some of our lives look like this when we were wondering, we're hoping we would look like that. And we're wondering, what are you missing? You're missing the key ingredient of relationships. You can't get what you're supposed to get if you don't do what God asks you to do. The summary for this particular part is that you can't be who God designed. You're a design. He designed you to be without divine relationships, without spiritual family. It's why we sell out to it. So you can get, I'm, I, I'm telling you, you can have good worship and you can listen to good teaching. And come on, you can have a great prayer life. But if you don't have the right people around you, your life might look like this. And then here's what's funny. Some Christians like to go back to the designer and call Duncan Hines and say, you sold me a bad cake. God, you sold me a bad life. God, you didn't do everything you're supposed to do for me. God, you're supposed to show me this was supposed to, my life's supposed to look like this. And God's going, did you use all the ingredients? Could be Baker error. Why? Because lack of spiritual family moves us from our destiny. Second is this. God shapes our identity through our divine relationships. God uses people to grow people. God uses people to grow people. God has a way. We, 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 we're, we are, are, are supposed to walk in God's way. God doesn't adjust to us. We adjust to... Have you ever tried to book a, pl a plane ticket recently? Anybody gone on a flight recently? Anybody? Have you noticed that Southwest doesn't ask you your opinion on when the plane should go somewhere? <laughs> you, 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 come on. The plane's going somewhere. You book the ticket. You get on their flight. It's a little like that with God. God has a way. God, God has a way he works through, and he does it through, 
through people. I like what verse 14 says with Ruth. She says this. She says in, in, uh, in Ruth chapter 4, she said, and, and again, they wept together, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. I got, she's going to go start a TV show and give away cars. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Two kinds of people in this story. Two kinds of people. One person who went backwards, one person who went forward. I'm just telling you, you and I are one of these people in this story. Either, either you're working on your next step, your new thing, your new step. You're either moving forward into your future or you're too caught up in what's going on behind you and you can't get past it and you go back. That, that Ruth had a way. Ruth had a way. Here's Ruth's way. We cling to the new. Come on. We, we, we cling to the new and we move forward, step forward instead of leaving and moving backwards. And here's what's funny about this. Here's how important this decision is in y'all's life. I don't remember the last time I opened my Bible, I don't remember seeing a book of Orpah. I see a book of Ruth. That your destiny is tied to your relationships. And who you choose to do life with affects your destiny. Ruth changed history, her history. And it was easier to go back home to what you might have known and what you might have thought was right and what you felt like God. Isn't it funny how some church people, you ever met some church people who are kind of like I do this all the time? They're like, we want to do, we want like God to move like he used to move. And so you chase the churches that chase the movement of God 150 years ago. And then you read your Bible, you open up your Bible and you see scriptures like what seems like Ruth understood. Isaiah chapter 43. See, everybody say see. see. You got to see it. Okay. He's, he's saying you need to open your eyes and see I'm doing a new thing. Everybody say new. Like, like you got to understand that God has the freedom because he's God to do something new. And I know that we like to put boxes around God because once we can control God, then he's better for us in our hands, isn't he? But he says, I'm doing a new thing. It springs up. Why can't you see it? That, 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 look, man, I did move that way, and it was a good time, and it was a good season, but I'm trying to do something new in your life. So are you trying to be Orpah, or are you trying to be Ruth? Like, are you trying to change your destiny? Are you trying to reach your destiny, or are you trying to go back? you got to genuinely ask yourself that question. I've met people who are so caught up in wanting them and their life to be what it was. Instead of being what God has for you in the future, which was so good about God is it tends to be better. You're trying to go back. And you know what? Really, the main reason is you're fearful of what could happen. So instead of walking in faith forward, you walk in fear backwards. And if we're honest, we love walking backwards. We're professional backward walkers. Because we think if we walk backwards, there's no pain there anymore. We it understands it, and that's not that's a lie. You know, we know. Come on, you've done that before. That that our destiny is tied to our relationships. And then I love, I love what I love what Ruth does here. Because this is this is the thing that I think this is revelation for somebody. We have a lie in our heads about great spiritual families. And Ruth addresses it. 
with Naomi. It's really important. I'm going to put this up on the scriptures. If you checked out, if somebody's sleeping, elbow him next to you. All right, so just wake him up. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you or turn back. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. Wherever you live, I'm going to live. Wherever your people, your people, my people. Your God's my God. So it's like we're going to agree, and it's going to be awesome, and everything's going to be great, and it's going to be great because when we make a decision to walk in family, everything's going to be great. And then she doesn't stop. Just weird. She doesn't stop. Then she says, whenever you die, I will die. Well, hold on, Ruth. And then I'm going to be buried. Wait, it's supposed to be great all the time with spiritual family. You're not supposed to disagree ever. You're supposed to have good things. We're always supposed to be happy. There's not supposed to be problems. What are you talking about, Ruth? We're just supposed to, it's supposed to be all like, you know, daisies and roses and everybody's supposed to be happy and we're like Christian hippies and walk around, hug everybody all the time. Peace, love, and you know, just everything is great. I love you. You love me. We're a big happy family. Like that's not, that's, that doesn't seem right. Ruth highlights what real spiritual family is, what great families are built on. Great families are the result of covenant, not absolute absence of problems, not absence of issues. And some of us, it's like we forget, like, because you're in a family. Your family's probably messed up. You want to know why? Because you're in it. That was easy. Humans are a part of family dynamic. And last time I checked, humans are pretty messed up. We don't ever do. Paul said it great. He said, what I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, I do. How many of y'all, like, that's not the theme of your life, right? It's like, I'm really Christian until I get on the road. Like, I should be better, but I don't. I'm not, right? Right? Can we, can we all just, like, it's okay. This is okay. Like, he's talking too real right now. No, it's all right. Group hug. It's okay. But, but. Great families aren't built because there's no problems. Great families are built on covenant. There was blood that was shed. Jesus' blood. We walk a spiritual family. So when something goes wrong, that doesn't mean you're in a bad family. It just means you've got to work through it. Come on, Naomi was confused. Ruth, why are you, why are you coming over here? And Ruth said, there's going to be ups. There's going to be downs. There's going to be hills and valleys mountaintops and plateaus, but I'm not here because everything's great all the time, Naomi. I'm not here because you got it all figured out and all worked out. I'm here because I'm clinging to you through covenant, and that's what we do at the church. So, so can I just give you a just, can I give you a small piece of just unsolicited advice because you didn't ask, but I'm just going to give it to you anyway. Whenever the church offends you, work through it for your sake. Whenever the pastor offends you, I should offend you, by the way, at some point in your life and your tenure here. If I'm a good pastor, I should kind of offend you a little bit. I should make you think, you know, like it's kind of offensive to say, guys, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Because most guys should go, in their minds, most guys go, but you don't know my wife. Right? Ladies, you know, you know, honor and respect your husband. Pastor, let me tell you what I married accidentally somehow. <laughs> I mean, that's offensive, right? Like, you should feel some level of it, but work through it. Great families work through it. Everybody say work through it. 
It's not. It, it, why? Because it, it shapes our identity. I like Ruth. Ruth is wise. And I'm going to close with this. The third thing that we, we, we how, how it affects our identity. Our identity ultimately becomes our legacy. Relationships affect what we leave behind. I, I, I was reading in Matthew chapter 1. Here's, here's how important Ruth's decision was to cling to Naomi. This is, this is important. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed. Who, this is, by the way, the genealogy of Christ or, or how Christ came about through relationships, through family. This is his family line. And here's somebody was highlighted because of this decision to cling to Naomi. Come on. She could have went back to Moab. She could have went backwards. She went forward, and this is what happened. Whose mother was, who's that? Everybody say Ruth. I know that name. Obed, the father of Jesus. Wait a minute. She was in the genealogy of Christ because of a moment in time, a verse 14 moment to cling to spiritual family. She was not blood. She was blood by covenant. That's got to speak to some of us. So are you holding on to the past? And forfeiting your legacy, are you moving forward into your future and, and, and with, with great potential involved? It's all about legacy. Even how God addresses himself and identifies himself, he identifies himself as a God of legacy in Exodus chapter 3. I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of, come on, come on, and the God of Jacob. I'm about legacy. It matters the decisions and the relationships you have or don't have right now affect your legacy. It's what do people say about you? Will there be people to say anything about you around your deathbed? Come on. Because I don't see Orpah in that like, genealogy. I don't. I don't. What happened to her? In fact, that was the last time we heard of her. Come on. She was a side note. instead of a highlight. And, and I just believe that your, your destiny is tied to your relationships. Your loneliness is fixed only by spiritual family. That's just the way God works. That's his, that's his antidote to address the lonely. Who am I when I feel alone? You are a son. You are a daughter of the one true king. And inside of spiritual family, you find what you needed that you didn't even know you needed. You find family. You find that connection. And, and you'll be surprised what life turns into when you do that. And that's my prayer for you.